Toughness is that we never give up in any circumstances. Toughness is you can give 100% effort over and over and over again. You know, tough guys are not afraid of a challenge. Tough guys, you know, run to the challenge. So, you know, we ask our players to be tough. To me, toughness is is less physical um, or it has very little to do with being physical. It, it's really something that's in your mind is are you tough enough to push when your body might be telling you not to, when the circumstance is telling you not to? Are you going to continue to chase your goal or chase your dream? When you're playing in a state championship game and you're down 19 points at halftime, you know, if you're tough, you go out and play the second half as hard as you can and we'll see where the chips fall. Those kinds of things. You know, if you're up against a guy who's, hey, physically bigger and stronger than you, are you going to give in or are you going to continue to compete for all four quarters? To me, that's what toughness is all about. It has very little to do with physicality. It's mind over matter. This is Drew Gibbs. I'm the head football coach at Ramapo High School, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. It's been a little bit since I've done an episode, but I'm really excited to have Coach Drew Gibbs on, who's the head football coach at Ramapo High School since 2001. Uh, he's also a seven-time state champion. He's been inducted into the New Jersey Coaches Association Hall of Fame in 2014. And most recently, he's won back-to-back undefeated state titles in 2018 and 2019. And last year, I came across an article in the Washington Post about Coach Gibbs and his team and how they they didn't, you know, tackle all season in practice and they ended up winning an undefeated state championship. And obviously since that article, you've done it again. So this podcast is obviously focused around sports, health and safety. And the less you tackle, I guess, like, you know, the less chance there is to get hurt in a lot of ways. So I think it's really, you know, tremendous that you're able to have such success and kind of go against the grain and what is, thought of as normal and the way to do things and to still be as successful. So Coach Gibbs, extremely uh, honored to have you on the podcast. And I guess let's start off by, you know, talking about what influenced your decision to decide not to tackle at practice anymore. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is it really doesn't go against conventional wisdom anymore. I think, uh, you know, one of the things about uh, the coaching profession is, uh, you know, all of our coaches or many of our coaches throughout the state of New Jersey and throughout the country have adopted the model of uh, player safety. And uh, I think that's the, the number one issue here is uh, coaches have realized a couple of things. Obviously, we, you know, we're in charge of, of taking care of these young men. We want them to compete. We want them to get all the benefits of the game. But obviously, we don't want to, you know, them to end up crippled or, you know, having repercussions later in life from playing the game of football. So, you know, that's the, the one area. And I think teams, as you pointed out, have found you can be successful without as much contact during the week. Uh, exposing your best players to less injury means there's going to be a better chance that they'll be on the field come Friday night. Your best availability or your best ability is availability in a lot of cases. I grew up in the the era of Oklahoma drill, nutcracker, you know, all those kind of drills. So, I can't picture football practice like without 
tackling. And I know that the state of New Jersey recently implemented the 15 minutes of tackling or, or contact rule at practice, but it seemed like you were ahead of the curve. So like before others adopted it or before it was even mandated by the state, it seemed like you were already kind of doing that based off of what I've been reading. So I guess that's why I was asking. I, I know you, you're highlighting what other coaches are doing and, and very forward thinking as well, but I was like, you know, was there an instance that made you feel like, all right, we need to keep these guys on the field and like, let's limit what we're doing at practice. It was an evolution. And, uh, you know, you said you grew up in the age of the nutcracker drill. You know, I fell in love with football in the 1970s as a 10 year old boy watching, you know, the steel curtain defense and the Oakland Raiders and football was, you know, it was a very, very physical game as a player, both at the youth level, the high school and the college level. I took some hits I wouldn't want my son to take, and I gave some hits I wouldn't want my son to take it. You know, the game in the 70s and 80s was very physical and, and very brutal. I had a chance in my first coaching experience to coach with uh, Chuck Johnson over at Ridgewood High School, and Chuck is a tremendously successful high school coach, and I learned a lot about teaching the skills of the game, teaching tackling without having to do a nutcracker drill, teaching the skill of the techniques that you need in football to be successful. You know, if you take two little kids and you line them up 10 yards away and you tell them to run, run at each other, well, you know, the, the naturally bigger or stronger or tougher kid at that time is probably going to win that battle. But you really haven't taught the, the player the, the technique needed to get a man to the ground or to defeat a man in a one-on-one -on -one blocking situation. So I was fortunate to be associated with a great teacher uh, early in my football career. And then as the head coach at Ramapo, I think we did maintain physical toughness during games and in practice. We've, we've always been very successful. But as the concussion issue started to come to the forefront, you know, became more and more aware of, you know, the idea that, hey, we, we can do more to keep our players safe. And, you know, I think coaches, again, have done a tremendous job in modifying the rules of the game to enhance player safety, modifying the techniques we teach to enhance player safety, and then and how we go about practicing. Those are, are the three ways that we've taken that game that was very brutal and very physical in the 70s, kept, in my opinion, the great things about the game, the teamwork, the toughness, the you know the one-on-one -on -one battles within the team concept that, that have to be there. We've kept that, but we've made this game much, much safer than it used to be for our players. That's really cool to hear, the, just hear that evolution and that you've been coaching for a long time and you've lived through that evolution. And for you to kind of, you know, lead the way, it's, it's really a great thing. So you kind of said like, you know, practice looks different. So I was wondering if you can describe for the audience, like, well, what does practice without tackling look like that you still instill those uh, skill sets so that on Friday night or Saturday, you know, these kids are tackling effectively? First of all, breaking the tackle down, and, and a couple of associations have done a great job of this. The, it, you know, it kind of came in as the hawk tackle uh, through rugby and through the Seattle Seahawks using that specific, you know, low shoulder tackle was a big part of it. USA Football has jumped on board with a lot of great resources for coaches to teach tackling. So it's really in how you drill the tackle and putting the kids in the position to make a solid tackle without it having to be live contact. And you can add speed to the drill, but we just, we are not finishing players to the ground. In practice at Ramapo, we, we do a circuit of tackling stations. 
Some of them involve, you know, tracking the ball carrier, which is, you know, which is an important part of being in the right position to make a tackle. Tracking is huge. Some of it, you know, is just getting in the proper position, that hitting position where your hips are low, your head is up. Some of the drills, we will actually go ahead and tackle somebody, but we're landing on a, a crash pad, you know, a 12-inch crash mat. So there's contact from player to player, but the landing on the ground isn't, you know, isn't going to shock that body every time you do it. And I think one of the keys to becoming a proficient tackler is getting a tremendous amount of reps. But if you're tackling kids to the ground a hundred times, well, you know, that tackling dummy is going to get banged up. He's going to get injured. So that's kind of how we've structured our drill stations for the actual teaching of tackling by breaking the skill down into its basics, by finding good drills that simulate what's going on, uh, going to happen on the field and putting them in those drills as many times as possible, just without that hard finish to the ground. And I think that's, you know, that's where practice has become different. When you get to the team defensive situation, everything about team defense is the same as it used to be. But again, instead of finishing a ball carrier to the ground, we're, we're tagging that ball carrier off on the hip. You know, we're asking our player to be in a great body position, perfect spot to make the tackle, just pull off for the big contact, save that for Friday night. No, that all sounds great. And I think in your uh, Washington Post article, you mentioned Chris Hogan played for you. And you referenced a tackle that he made, which was, you know, when we were tracking uh, ball carriers, when I was playing, it was always get your head in front of the ball carrier, bite the ball. And in a lot of ways, like you put your head right in the line of fire when you do that. And although I believe it's like an effective way to get the ball carrier to the ground and not, not lose the tackle. I mean, can you play the next play is really like what it comes down to. Right. And it was, uh, it was a situation that stuck with me. Our crosstown rival Wayne Hills, you know, that's a that's a huge game up here in North Jersey. And, uh, you know, we were beating them in, by 19 points at the half. We, it was a great ball game back and forth, um, you know, but we were up. And then early in the second half, Chris did exactly what we coached him to do at the time, which was, you know, get your head across on a on a tackle. Uh, unfortunately, it was a diving situation and the player's knee hit him in the head and, you know, gave him a concussion. And we had to pull them out of the game. And we went from having the advantage at each position that day to now being at a disadvantage and ended up losing the ball game that night. And it was just one that stuck with me. So when I first heard about this hawk tackling technique of, you know, having the head behind as opposed to in front, that was kind of where a, a light went off for me. And uh, there's another organization that I think was also helped me in, in kind of developing the way we do things. And that is... Uh, an organization called Practice Like the Pros. And if you go to an NFL practice, you'll see very little tackling to the ground. Drills, you know, teaching technique. Uh, but, you know, the, the New York Giants aren't going to tackle Daniel Jones or Saquon, you know, Saquon Barkley to the ground a number of times, you know, during the season to get ready to play. It's just, that's not a wise thing to do. So a gentleman by the name of Terry O'Neill, who is uh, who's the guy who spearheaded practice like the pros. You know, he came and spoke uh, at a number of our state coaches clinics and, and spoke to our state association and, you know, encouraged us to adopt this model. And it's, uh, again, for us, it's been very successful. I actually met Terry randomly. He like sent me a random email because of the podcast. And we met at some diner in Connecticut and talked about practice like the pros. And he connected me with a bunch of athletes who have gotten hurt with concussions and actually had the same injury as me. So it's interesting. It's funny that you, you mentioned him. You know, and Terry shows a, in one of his presentations, he shows a video 
in a scrimmage where the quarterback got thrown down to the ground late, separated his shoulder in a situation where it just it didn't need to happen. And, uh, you know, beyond the tackling, what Terry's uh, influence has been with this practice like the pros is, again, everything we do in practice, we, we want to compete, we want to go hard, but we want to keep our teammates safe. And that's the key. If you can learn, you know, one of the things, if you come to a Rambo pole practice, you'll hear stay off the ground, stay off the ground. You know, if I have an offensive lineman who's physically dominating the scout player on the other side of the ball, well, in a game, we may finish that, ta- you know, that block by dumping the guy to the ground. We're not going to do that in practice. We're going to keep him up because if I take, you know, if I take one of a player that I'm physically better than and I throw him on one of my other teammates, now I've got two guys that get hurt. You know, the guy whose leg he falls on and the guy I finished. So a lot of it has to do with, you know, how you approach practice. And then again, being able to flip the switch come game day. Right. And I, I was a student manager at Rutgers football uh, from like 2009 to 2012. And that was something I heard all the time to stay off the ground. Coach Yana was always screaming that. Uh, and if you ended up on the ground, you were definitely you had near full just for that reason. So it's interesting. So how much of your recent success do you attribute to this emphasis on player safety and, you know, keeping those players available to play on Friday nights? Well, you know, high school football now um, here in North Jersey, you know, and we've added a game. So our guys play 13 regular season games, you know, pre-coronavirus, we would have three pretty competitive scrimmages. That's 16 times we were lining up against another opponent. The NFL football that I started watching in the 70s had a 12-game regular season. Uh, So our kids are playing a lot of football. Our kids just from that schedule are beat up, you know, championship week. You know, we got a lot of bumps and bruises during the playoffs. So in my opinion, the fact that we've saved them from, you know, 50 or 60 ground collisions during practice during the year, that might be the difference between the fact that they're, hey, they may be sore and banged up, but they're able to play in week 13 or them not being on the field. Uh, you know, we've been fortunate to, to have very few injuries in practice that have kept players out of competing on Friday night. So I think it, you know, again, it's the right thing to do because it's the right thing for the young people that, that are working for us and, and working with us. But it's also the right thing to do from a from a wins and losses standpoint. And I mean, I just think back to my own experience. It's like it's almost like the accumulation of injuries as you go along the season. Because like when I think back to my head injury, it wasn't just getting hit in the head. Like I had a separated shoulder in week two. Was you know obviously didn't want to hit with that, so I started hit with my other shoulder, hurt that one, and then all I had left to hit with was my head. So like the sequence of events like actually makes pretty good sense, but obviously it ended my season so and my career. So the less yeah, the less you can get hit, the better. All right. So I know when back when I played, like making a tackle, it wasn't just about getting a guy on the ground always. You know, there was that make him remember you or something like that next time he touches the ball. Like, how much is that a part of the game today? has the the conversation changed and you know on friday nights are our kids like thinking that way anymore or, or how is that i think our kids are still excited to play tough physical football there's some players that can dominate a tackle based on their physical attributes their strength they're just their natural inclination to develop power there's some kids hey we, we have defensive players that they get on the ground they've done their job so I don't think we've lost the, the physicality of the game or the enthusiasm for the big hit, but I, I think we save it up for Friday night, and we, that's kind of how we preach it to our players. Listen, we're, you know, we're staying off the ground during the week so that we can 
bring it with great intensity on a Friday night. So if you're old school, you might say the game is not as physical as it's been, but I still think it's pretty physical. And, and I think it's going to be around a long time the way we're playing it now, where if we didn't adapt the game of football, I think we're in danger of losing it or we're in danger of not having the same participation numbers. And now you have so many kids missing out on the experience that, that I think is a great experience. You know, greatest experience a young man can have is being a member of a football team. So I think you have to weigh those two attributes and, and I'd much rather have more kids playing and maybe we've taken a little of the, you know, the physicality out or, the, or I think we've just taken the injuries out. I don't, I don't really believe we've taken the physicality out, but we've, we've tried to minimize those injury-causing situations as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't trade my football experience for the world. I loved every, you know, every second of it. And have you seen a decline in participation in Franklin Lates at all or in your town? We have over 100 football players in our high school program this year, which is the most that we've ever, that we've had in my 20 years. And again, participation often follows success. We've been fortunate enough to be very successful recently. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think kids are excited about playing football. I think there was that concussion scare a few years ago that really became very prominent. But again, a lot of that research that they did was based on a different game. You know, today's game, I think, uh, you know, from an equipment standpoint, from a rules standpoint, from a, a teaching standpoint and a practice organization standpoint is just so much safer than it was years ago. That's great to hear. Cause I, like, I, like you said, it's a shame that kids like don't get the, wouldn't get the op- opportunity to play such a great sport, you know, because their parents are nervous about them playing or whatever. So you kind of alluded to this before too, like you got all sorts of different players on the field, different physicalities, different mentalities, personalities, you got all that stuff going on. Is there a particular type of like player that you, tr- you have to keep an extra eye on so that to save them from themselves? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you got to make sure they use good technique. And, you know, fortunately we are in an outstanding community here in our, you know, we run clinics for our youth football coaches. Our youth football coaches do a great job of, of teaching the fundamentals. So, you know, I don't have to worry about that, that young man who just wants to run in there with his head because that was okay when he was, you know, that was a habit he developed as a young player. For the most part, our, our kids come to us with some good skills or no skills at all. And we can teach them, you know, we can teach them fresh, but there are certain players you got to pull back in practice and uh, you know, Hey guys that really love that physical part of the game, you know, I may have to take that player aside and, and have that talk with them. I said, listen, you know, if you're up against, I think one of the biggest issues is mismatches in practice. If I've got two players of equal size, equal strength, you know, they're going to have a, they may have a collision. They may have a, a physical confrontation on the line of scrimmage. Probably nobody's getting hurt. That's a good competition. And it happens in high school football because you have all different kinds of levels of, of experiences, you know, when you have those mismatches. And how do you teach that, that big physical kid when there's a mismatch there? You need to pull up. You don't need to smash, you know, that guy on your own team. So that's part of the educational process I go through as a head coach is getting our players to understand that, you know, it's about practicing as fast as you can. And we pull up just short of full contact when there's a mismatch there. And I think that's part of our job as educators is to get our kids understanding the purpose of practice. I was thinking, I I heard you say that, you know, part of making sure that you don't have that kid that you need to like worry about that's always sticking his face and everything is part of it is starting them young and starting them with the right techniques and fundamentals young. So 
not too long ago, I remember my coach asking me, you know, I think our participation rates are much lower in, in football uh, in the town that I grew up in. And I think it's something that my coach is struggling with to try to combat. And, you know, there's a lot out there about, you know, flag football, extending flag football until eighth grade or, or whatever. And in my mind, it's like, all right, well, if they're playing flag football, then they're probably not playing soccer. So like when they get to eighth grade, they don't have the soccer skills to be like, oh, when I'm in high school, I'm going to play soccer. Like they have the football skills. So like they'll probably play football, even though it's not flag. But from what you're saying, that might not be the most effective way to approach it. If I'm reading that correctly, I guess like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, listen, we're fortunate at our school. We have a lot of great athletes. We have a championship level soccer team and a championship level football team. And, you know, kids are going to pick what they pick. As young people, I like flag football. I think anytime we can get kids involved in the game of football, I think it's a great game. I think flag is a great place to start. You know, I played as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, but then I go out and I watch the, some of the eight and nine-year-olds out there on the field and uh, their necks are barely strong enough to hold their head up with a helmet on, some of them. And uh, so, you know, I'm not against flag at all. I think it's a great transition to tackle football. Um, I know some parents, you know, choose to hold their son out till seventh or eighth grade. You know, I probably, you know, I would like to see kids involved in the seventh and eighth grade level. I don't think there's anything wrong with youth football you know, at the third through sixth level when it's taught well. And, and again, we're in a community where it is taught very well. So as, as long as they're playing one or the other or playing soccer, if that's what they, you know, want to do, hey, uh, as long as they're active and getting out there, uh, I'm happy with that. So in your years of experience, what do you usually chalk injuries up to? Is it like a lack of preparation, a lack of technique, um, bad luck, you know, a lack of anything? I guess like what's been the pattern? Yes. All of the above. One of the fellows on our coaching staff uh, coaches our D-backs and wide receivers. Uh, he was running back for us back in 2001. He tore his ACL in, in a non-foot-on-the-ground uh, you know, injury, the strangest injury I've ever seen. Where a player fell on top of him and twisted his leg in, in a way that it tore his ACL. So that was a, a bizarre injury. Um, you know, we had some situations you know, earlier in my career where there were mismatches, where you know, maybe a bigger, more physical kid you know, hit, hit a smaller kid harder than he really needed to do. And, uh, you know, that certainly opened my eyes that, hey, I need to do a better job of educating my players so that that doesn't happen again. You know, I, I had an injury in a, in a tackling drill where, you know, a guy back when we were finishing tackles to the ground and, you know, the worst situation to be in in a one-on-one -on -one drill is, you know, I've got to get you on the ground. I'm there all by myself. That's really not real football. You know, real football, you know, I may make the initial hit, but I've got five teammates there before another second usually passes by, and it's kind of a group effort. But now I have a, a player, you know, who has to try to get one guy down to the ground, and we, we've seen an injury happen in those situations. So I think a lot of it's bad, bad luck. A lot of it's how we teach our team and, and my responsibility, again, as the head coach, to emphasize that the idea of, of a great practice is to be fast, to be physical, and to get off the field with everybody healthy, emphasizing staying on our feet, you know, emphasizing great body position, all the things that, that we need to do, emphasizing that, hey, he's my teammate. I'm not going to tee off on him if he's in a vulnerable position. You know, those types of things, uh, those are things that I can do to prevent injuries in practice. The game is the game. You know, injuries happen. We had, uh, you know, in the last two years, we've had two injuries where, you know, our players have been injured by players from another team not playing by the rules, not following, you know, not following the rules of the game. And whether there's a penalty flag or not, 
that caused our players to be injured, you know, and uh, so whether we get the 15 yard penalty or not, my player is still hurt. You know, that kid, you know, that's tough on that, that player. So, you know, I think all of us as coaches need to do a great job with the rules and, and with player safety, not only in our own practices, but in games as well. We've eliminated the blind side hit from football. You know, one player's running, looking at the ball, a blocker comes up and, you know, the guy doesn't see him and, you know, the guy puts a shoulder into him. That's a concussion waiting to happen. That's a serious injury waiting to happen. Guy blocks below the waist, you know, on a, on a pursuit play. You know, that's an injury waiting to happen. So I think all of us as coaches have a responsibility to teach the rules of the game. And it's uh, an awful lot of rules to the game for a, you know, for a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid to learn and memorize and understand. There's a lot to it when you really go out and, and plan it as a coach. You got a big responsibility. Yeah. And when I think about it too, it's like when you call out that behavior that induces those injuries, like you were talking about with like not following the rules, like you got to make that kid know like, yo, that, that's not cool, man. And like, even if it's teammates, if it's a cultural thing and now, now his teammates are like, yeah, like why, why'd you do that? You know, like we don't, like, that's not how we play. You know, you always have those outliers, I guess, but in the heat of the moment, but you know, obviously if you build a culture, like it sounds like you're building, you know, everyone's kind of holding each other accountable to play by the rules to make sure that, you know, we're not going to do it to you. You don't do it to us. You know, we're competitors when the whistle blows, but we're all part of the football fraternity. You know, we all play this game. We all want to compete. But yeah, we, we really do need to look out for each other so that, you know, people can go on after the game and, and still, you know, be in great shape. Yeah, I think the NFL's made great strides with that too. It's like, it's looking at it as like a brotherhood. You know, yeah, you're on the other team, but like, let's, we're all trying to like, make a living here, you know? And you get guys like Vontez Perfect, who is like always the outlier doing some wild thing that, you know, is obviously going to get someone hurt. And I'll be honest with you again, and, and just the high school coaches in New Jersey where we are, I think they do a great job. Uh, you know, our coaches, I think they do teach with player safety in mind. And we don't see a lot of that kind of stuff on the field. And, uh, you know, again, as a coach, you know, it's your responsibility to control that player and teach that player and educate him as to how the game's supposed to be played. So what's your relationship with your athletic trainer? We have a good relationship with our trainer. You know, I think uh, you know, our trainer understands what we do and how we do it. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a, a mutual respect. I mean, I understand what her job is. I've been now the head coach here at Rampo for, you know, to be my 20th season. We've only had three athletic trainers. So that relationship, I think, between a, a high school coach and the athletic trainer is an important one. Uh, our trainers have always gone above and beyond in terms of taking care of our athletes and, you know, doing things that make the program go and make the program better. And, uh, you know, so I think it's important that the head coach and trainer have a good relationship. I just know like when I was playing, I lived obviously living in the, the nutcracker Oklahoma drill era, uh, just put that into context. Uh, like all the upperclassmen were always like, Oh, well, like, you know, don't go to Miss Barba, you know, the athletic trainer, because then you won't play. Like, so that was always in our heads of like, well, we just got to like dragging along or, or licking our wounds you know, along the way. But I just didn't know if it, if that's changed at, at this point too. We've been fortunate. I, I would say that all of our trainers are aggressive athletic trainers who, who want to get the player back on the field, who understand, you know, that this is important to the, the student athletes. It's important to all the teammates, but at the same time, they understand their number one job is to protect that young man from himself. And uh, the trainer has the bottom line, you know, the trainer tells you, you can't play, you can't play. And that's it. But, you know, we, we encourage our players to see the trainer that they have to, you know, if they're hurt, you have to go see the trainer. That's, that's your job. We, we will, you know, 
between the trainer and the coaching staff, we'll evaluate the injury. It's not your job to evaluate the injury. And, uh, you know, I've had to sit players from practice. I've had to sit players from games, players that have wanted to play. We've got to look out for the long-term health of the player. And uh, it also just makes sense. If I have a good player who's banged up, do I really want to put him back in a situation where instead of just missing this week's game, he's going to miss two or three more, or he's going to be able to play at 60% for three games because I rushed him back a week early. So I think we all, you know, I think we have to make common sense decisions and know that, listen, a healthy player plays better than a, a player who's injured. And we have to be ready to, uh, to sit our guys when they're not healthy. Yeah. And I think communicating that to the player is also important too, because obviously like when you're 17, you're not thinking like four years, five years, 10 years, 30 years down the road, you're like today, like today is the most important day of the world and of my life. So you know, to like talk someone into that with that mindset, it's tough, but like, cause they don't think like, Oh, I'm playing at 60%, but like, that's still good. I think, you know, I'm still out there but they're actually doing their team a disservice by being 60%. Whereas if, yeah, if I sat out for a week or two, like I'll come back a hundred percent and then what could happen? You know, I will tell you this in, in our program, if you are a, you know, we have a depth chart on both sides of the ball. If you're a second string player, you probably get 80 to 90% of the reps that the first string guy gets during the practice week. And that's just something we believe in is having that next group ready to go. And so I don't hesitate if I didn't give that second group the same amount of practice time, I might be more hesitant about putting a second group player into a starting role. We don't hesitate. Get your second string ready to go so that when you have that injury, you are confident in, in putting that young player on the field. That's just something we believe in. No, it's a great point because it even gives the player confidence that like their absence is going to be, it'll still be all right. And, uh, you know, we love to talk about that next man up philosophy is, you know, it's a team and, you know, it, you don't win a game based on one superstar, you know, teams win games, teams win championships. So we always want those second and third string players to know that they've got to be ready to step up. And if we don't coach them and we don't develop them, if we just focus on those starters, well then, you know, we're not ready when we get that injury. And, uh, you know, that's something I think our staff's done a great job with. So does your staff and like, as a part of your culture, do you help these players kind of like develop identities outside of football? Cause I know that's something that I really struggle with when I had my career ending injury. And really the part of the reason why I even started this podcast in general is like that transition when football's over, you're not a football player anymore. You're, you know, student number X at your college and you're trying to figure it out. So I wish that I had more of an identity outside of the sport of football going into something like that. I was just curious, like, do you encourage players to do other things outside of football, like in the off season and stuff? You know, it's probably an area that, that we could do better in. I can't say that that's been a focus of what we do with our guys. So I certainly understand the issue. You know, you're a, you're an 18 year old and, and you, you know, we call it, you've, you've retired from football at 18. You know, people who retire at age 65 have a, have a tough mental transition to go through here. We're asking football players who either lose their career due to just, you know, the games passing them by at the, you know, uh, or they're just finished up in high school. It can be a difficult transition. I can tell you, it's not something we've focused on. You know, the one thing we ask them to do or, or certainly encourage them to do is whatever their passion is outside the game is, is to use the lessons that you've learned in our program to, to be successful and to follow whatever, whatever the next chapter, whatever the next passion in your life is going to be. I heard you mention toughness a couple of times uh, throughout this interview. And 
actually, it's a question that I ask every single guest that comes on my podcast is, you know, what's your definition of toughness? Just because I know it's a definition that for me has significantly evolved over time. And I'm just curious what your definition of toughness is and what piece of that toughness is what you hope your players take with them after they retire. Toughness is that we never give up in any circumstances. Toughness is you can give 100% effort over and over and over again. You know, tough guys are not afraid of a challenge. Tough guys, you know, run to the challenge. So, you know, we ask our players to be tough. To me, toughness is, is less physical um, or it has very little bit to do with being physical. It, it's really something that's in your mind is are you tough enough to push when your body might be telling you not to, when the circumstance is telling you not to? Are you going to continue to chase your goal or chase your dream? When you're playing in a state championship game and you're down 19 points at halftime, you know, if you're tough, you go out and play the second half as hard as you can and we'll see where the chips fall. Those kinds of things. You know, if you're up against a guy who's, hey, physically bigger and stronger than you, are you going to give in or are you going to continue to compete for all four quarters? To me, that's what toughness is all about. It has very little to do with physicality. It's mind over matter. No, I, I love that definition. And it's just like so different from what my 17-year-old definition was because it was all physical. And what, what's great about your definition is like you're actually in control of all of those things. Like it's a decision that you make to take that step into the unknown and take it aggressively. And it's empowering once you realize that like, that's really what makes you tough, not the muscles on your arms or how fast you run the 40. We had a senior cornerback who actually started as a third team player on our depth chart last year. And by the time we got to the state playoffs last year, um, you know, he found himself as a starter. And, you know, he went in some pretty tough situations. And the thing, I mean, he was such a tough kid. He wasn't big. He wasn't that strong. But he played every play as hard as he could. And uh, he made some tremendous plays for us down the stretch. So for that young man, you know, think about the mental toughness it takes to go into your senior year, your third on the depth chart. Man, a lot of kids might walk away. You know, there was no walk away there. He didn't walk away. He kept, you know, he kept fighting. He kept working. And he eventually achieved his goal. And then he achieved his goal and he found himself on the big stage with all of his teammates counting on him in a role that he'd never really been in before. And he didn't wither. He competed every play. Hey, he made some great plays. He made a few mistakes. But, you know, to me, that just showed tremendous mental toughness from that young man that he, you know, he didn't back down from any situation. It's cool that like, you know, showing that kind of toughness gives you opportunities, like opportunities find you when you carry yourself that way. Right. Absolutely. That's really cool. We're obviously in a weird time right now with COVID and I kind of compare what some of these athletes are going through with COVID to like uh, almost a career ending injury to some degree, I guess, you know, what's the pulse coming from your players just like with everything going on. And I think New Jersey has like a shortened season. Am I correct? Or they yes. we're hoping for, for at least eight games uh, right now. It, it's set to be a six game football season and a two week postseason, two game postseason. So we're feeling pretty comfortable about that, pretty strong that that's going to happen. I know when our players got back together, you know, this summer, we were able to start our phases on July 13th. Man, they were just happy to be, they were happy to be back together. They were happy to be out, you know, doing what they love to do. I think this pandemic has been very difficult on our young people. Um, our young people are, you know, we're all social beings and, uh, you know, the isolation that's, that's caused by this pandemic has been, has been difficult. So, 
for me, there, I think the return to sports has, uh, has been a great thing for our young people. Yeah, and that seems to be kind of the consensus from even doctors. I used to work for the um, Dr. Martins. He's the Jets internal medicine doctor, and he did a, a video recently that I saw talking about the, that exact thing. It's like the the risk benefit of you know keeping them out versus the risk of keeping them out. You know, keeping them out because of COVID or keeping them out because of like their mental health. You know, um, like what's the the lesser of, of two evils? And from what he was saying, it's like these kids' mental health are like struggling hardcore and they're far more likely to struggle with that than ever suffer from COVID or even get COVID because they're healthy, you know? So it's interesting you say that. We need to get our schools open in some modified form. Um, obviously, you know, again, the physical health of, of everybody is important, but, but I think our, our folks need to be back doing what we're, you know, what we were meant to do. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I think our state and, and hopefully other states around are going to be able to figure out a way to, to get our kids back in the classroom and, and keep them on the fields uh, safely. Well, Coach Gibbs, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge on the podcast. And I just want to commend you for your you know tremendous leadership and the, the culture that it's obvious that you've created to have 100 kids in your program. Like people want to be a part of that. It's obvious. Um, I know winning helps that, but you, you don't just win out of nowhere. Like you, you win for a reason and it's a culture that you build over time. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time in, you know, while you guys are preparing for this upcoming season. And you truly are a, a role model in my eyes to you know, all the other coaches out there just to be forward thinking and to keep players safe and keep them on the field and you know, let them play this, this great game. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. It was fun. I enjoyed being with you.